Well, this morning we are continuing our series called Revive of what it looks like to have a revival both in our lives and in our church. And so this morning we're talking about um, everybody's favorite topic, authority. Um, And so to do all the things that we've talked about up to this week of gathering together, of listening and being taught by the word and being united in Christ and having the same mission to make disciples... Um, We need something or some way to keep us all focused on the same thing and moving in the same direction. And so I'm going to argue this morning that authority is how we do that. We need somebody to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, to keep us together so that we can do all of those things, both in our own spiritual lives and as a church. I also know that when we talk about authority and leadership, it can be a tricky issue sometimes, Um, Because I think we all know we need some kind of authority, but we don't always like having some kind of authority. Um, Sometimes we've seen it as restrictive or as confining um, or preventing us from doing what we want, or it's just somebody telling you what to do, right? Whether that's your parents or your teachers or your boss or your family or your pastor, right? They're just telling you what to do. But good authority is actually good for us. It keeps us keeps our society moving and civil, actually. It's good that we have authority and like stoplights and stop signs and traffic laws and all of those things keep us safe. Um, And godly authority is even better for us. It gives us direction and it gives us guidance um, and a way to help everyone in the church grow to maturity. And I, I know, also know many of us, or most of us, have experienced bad authority, people going too far, um, taking advantage of others, being domineering. Um, but for this morning, as we talk about it, I want you to assume that we are talking about good, godly authority. So all of those bad things or experiences kind of let those fall away as we talk about this, because authority that is kind, that is loving, that is generous and profitable for us, that's what we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to work our way through. Um, In a minute, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, so if you want to get a head start, um, you can turn there. It's page 1038 on the Bible that's right in front of you, um, or you can always follow along in our Brentwood Bible app. Um, if you go to our Sunday service, all the scripture is there for you. Um, but first, we're going to talk about just kind of different levels of submission is what we do to authority. And so first, we need to submit to Christ. Um, and we submit to Christ because he is the head of the church. Um, we're going to look at several verses that kind of outline what this means as we go forward. Um, but first, think about what it means that Christ is the head, right? Think about just your body and your head, right? It's, your head has your brain in it, which is the seat of kind of what makes everything happen, right? Nothing happens in the rest of your body unless your head is connected to it. Um, that's pretty obvious. But it gives us instructions, right, for me to raise my arm and to talk to you and to speak. All of that comes from up here. Right? It gives us thoughts, like what we should do, what we shouldn't do. It gives us directions. It makes all things go. Right? It, send com- it sends commands so that all things work together, and it also keeps us alive and keeps us moving. And I think Christ, being the head of the ter- church, does very similar things. <clears throat> right? He sends directions, instructions, keeps us all moving, he keeps us alive and going forward. And so let's look at some reasons why um, Christ is the head of the church and why we should submit to them. So first is... Christ is the head of the church because he is the Savior. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 for this. We're going to start there, and then we're going to come back to it later. Um, So we're going to hit some other things as we go through. You don't have to turn there. I'll read them all for you. Um, But Ephesians 5 is usually a passage um, that you hear quoted at weddings, 
um, and about sermons on marriage. Um, And so, yes, it does say things about that, but this verse also says a lot about Christ and being the head of the church and authority. So we're going to look at um, the end of verse 22 and verse 23. Well, we're going to look at all of 22. So, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Right? And so that's an important piece of information, I think, that he is the head of the church because he is the Savior. He is the one that has saved us. That's why we submit to him, right? because we owe him our lives. As believers in Christ, we believe that he sacrificed his life for us so that we could have life. Now, usually when somebody saves your life, hopefully none of you have experienced this, um, where somebody had to jump in and save your life or rescue you from something serious, but we've seen it in the movies, right? And usually when somebody has their life saved, there's this debt or this feeling of, well, I owe the person that did that, and so I need to pay them back, and I need to save their life, or I need to give them something significant to balance the scales, right, to make everything even together. And so you want to make it even, but here's where it gets tricky with theology, right? We shouldn't think that way about Christ. Yes, he has saved our lives, but we, even if we want to pay him back and balance the scales and make it even, there is nothing we have, there is nothing we can do that could actually do that, that could actually balance the scales. We can't save his life, right? We have nothing to give that can ever make us even, But sometimes we still try, right? We still try to pay him back to earn his favor, to earn his love, to show him that we really mean it. And so we can't pay him back, but we can honor him with how we live. And that's where I think it gets tricky for us is, yes, we want to honor him and live in the way that he's calling us to do and do what he's asking us to do, right? But on the same time, you can't ever pay back and earn those things from him. So Christ is the head of the church because he is the savior. He has saved us. He is also the head of the church so that he could be first in our lives. This is going to come from Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. We're just going to read this one verse so you don't have to turn there, but here's what it says. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything, that he would be first above all things. He is first in the church, right? When it says he's the firstborn from the dead, he's the first one to be resurrected into new life, which means we can follow him and do the same thing, right? He is our first love, our first devotion. He is our first priority. He is first in all things as the head of the body. And then we have Christ is the head of the church because he has authority over everything. And so if you're in Ephesians 5, if you want, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 1, just a couple of pages. Um, And we're going to look at uh, verses uh, about 20 through 23. And it says, he has exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So this is telling us and reminding us that Jesus has authority, right? Not just authority in the church, not just authority for those who believe in him, but over everyone and everything, 
right? He has authority over all creation, heaven and earth and everything included. Everyone is under his authority. And so that's why we have this verse, uh, and you may have heard this, that says, um, eventually every knee will bow to Jesus and acknowledge that he is the king, that he is the savior. And so I think that's linked to this idea that someday, no matter what happens, no matter what you choose to believe about Jesus in this world, hopefully you believe that he is the savior before your life ends, right? Or else we would say that it's too late after that. Um, But every knee will bow to him because he has authority over all of it. And at some point, everyone is going to acknowledge that authority, no matter what you thought about him, or if you followed him, or believed in him, or whatever you did on earth, that one day, everybody will acknowledge the authority of Jesus. So we submit to Christ because he is the head of the church, but we also submit to Christ because we are the body, right? We are the body of Christ. We are the one that he is the head of. And so in that, we all work together. Right? We're all connected parts working together. So if not, just imagine, and some of you it's easier to imagine than others, right? If there's no head and we're not connected and we're not all getting, your body parts aren't getting all the same instructions, right? What that would look like. If your arm tries to go this way and your leg tries to go this way, it's not going to work very well, right? If they're all trying to go in different directions, you'd be a little uncoordinated or clumsy, or maybe you just like lay on the floor because you're like, nobody can decide which way we're going, so we're just going to lay here and do nothing until we get there, right? But we come together as we are all guided by the head who gives instructions so that all the parts can work together, right? So as we are guided by the head, by Christ, as we listen to him, as we follow him, as we give him authority in our lives, we can move, we can work. All of the parts work together, going in the same direction, accomplishing his purpose, right? You can go from an uncoordinated pile of bones and flesh to something like We would say like an elite athlete or somebody who runs in the Olympics who everything is working perfectly, it's fine-tuned, and they can accomplish things that nobody else can accomplish. That's what Jesus does with us as the body of Christ, as believers in Christ, as we listen to him. And so we focus on him for our unity, right? He unites us together. And so if we are all listening and we're all seeking Jesus, we should be on the same page. And so here's an example of what that looks like. Um, In a couple of weeks, we're having a pumpkin patch, but let's say if we go back in time and we all decide we have this opportunity to have a pumpkin patch, and we ask, we want everyone to pray whether we should have a pumpkin patch or not. And we're going to give it two weeks, and we're going to pray. We wouldn't usually put time limits on God, but just go with me here, right? That we would pray, and so if we are all praying, if we are all united in Christ, I would expect that when we all came back, that everybody would have the same answer to that prayer. That Jesus would tell all of us, yes, have a pumpkin patch. Or no, he didn't say that to us, I don't think. But if he did, we would all have the same answer. So we, would go around, we could go around the room and everyone would be able to say, yes, Jesus told me yes, we should do it. Jesus told me yes, we should do it. Jesus told me yes, we should do it. Because if we're all focused on him, if we're all listening to him and seeking his guidance, Right? I truly believe he gives us all the same answer. That's how he unites us. That's how he puts us together. Right? So that's an example of what it looks like to be united in Christ. Is as we pray, as we seek him, he unites us even in the answers he gives us to our prayers. Because that keeps us moving in the same direction. 
So this idea of, of submission and authority and how we do that also translates to our leaders, right? I think we only know how to pastor or how to lead or what a pastor should look like or what a leader should look like because of what Jesus has done and the example that he has given to us. So yes, we submit to Christ as the head of the church, but we also submit to godly leaders, and so God, in his plan and in his providence, he gives us leaders to guide us. And for this, we're going to look at Hebrews um, 13, it's, chapter, it's verse 17. Um, you don't have to turn there, that's the only verse we're going to read in this section. But it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Right? So obey your leaders submit to them. And what does it say at the end? What's the phrase at the end? So that it would be profitable for you, right? It would be good for you. And I think it's more than just for your good. If we look at the word profitable and kind of look at some other words that might be included in that, we could use beneficial or useful or fruitful or rewarding. And so, God is basically saying he has given you these leaders so that you can be fruitful, so that you can be useful, so that you can be rewarded in those things, right? Your leaders are here to make you better, to help you grow. And I think the goal for us is that it would be profitable for everyone, right? For leaders and members. And so we're going to kind of split this out into two. I'm going to look at the leader's responsibility and the church responsibility. And so first is the leader's responsibility in this equation. And so I think the leader's responsibility, whether that's pastors or elders or other leaders in the church, is to do these things, um, to guide the church through teaching, right, teaching the Word of God, whether it's up here on Sunday morning, whether it's in a Sunday school class, whether it's in somebody's house, also through counseling and just helping people understand the biblical principles and how those apply to your life and how you live those out on a day-to-day basis. And also being an example, right? This is what it looks like to be a godly person, to follow God, to seek Him, to live the way that He wants. And so we guide the church in that way. I think we also direct the church, right, through vision. This is what we are trying to accomplish as a church. This is where we're going. This is our unique twist or spin on what we're trying to do gives them direction. I think it's also the job of the leaders to challenge and to encourage those in the church, that we don't just let everybody do whatever they want and hope that everything works out, but we actually get to know you and help you and walk with you and challenge you and encourage you so that we all keep moving forward. And then to shepherd the church, right? And when I think about shepherding, I think of these three words of, of leading, feeding, and protecting, Right? They lead the church, saying, this is where we go. We're taking you to greener pastures. We're um, protecting you, leading you away from dangerous things or dangerous teachings. And we feed you. We give you what you need to grow and to survive and to be healthy. And so think about Jesus and his disciples and how he did this. Right? If you remember Jesus and his disciples, um, if you read any of the Gospels, you can kind of understand the disciples weren't perfect followers of Jesus, right? They made some mistakes. Um, they had some interesting interpretations of what he was trying to show them. Um, they sometimes ask questions that we would say, that wasn't a very smart question. Don't you know who you're walking with? Um, and so 
But what it, in those moments, Jesus didn't say, sorry, that's your third strike, so you're out, right? We're going to replace you with somebody else. Peter, that's the last time that you get to shoot your mouth off like that, so we're going to bring somebody else in and replace you. No, that's not what Jesus does. He takes them where they are, and he leads them, and he guides them, and he corrects them, and he shepherds them. And eventually, those guys are the reason we are here today. Right? Even though they made all those mistakes, even though they didn't quite understand who he was until the very end, right? he walked with them and taught them enough and led them enough and guided them enough that those people, those 11, ended up teaching us and passing it down through generations so that we were still here. Right? And so we do that the same as leaders and as pastors. It's not three strikes and you're out or anything like that. No, it's guiding and shepherding and being compassionate, right? It's not lording over or controlling, right? All of these things are to help us or to help you and to guide you, not to get control or elders or or, um, lord it over us. And so we have pastors and we're looking to transition and add elders into what we are doing. Um, And so those people are there to teach us and to guide us, right? Not to decide everything, not to tell everybody what to do. I am not here to command what you guys should do every week or what you should do. I'm here to lead you, guide you, teach you, and then we all decide together. And there's, believe it or not, there's there's some weight, um, I think, to being a leader, especially being a pastor, right? If you look in the middle... There's this phrase about as one who would give an account, right? Leadership is a serious job, at least at the pastoral level. Um, And so it says to watch over your souls, right? It's my job to watch over your soul, to make sure that what we're teaching, that what we're doing will lead your soul to salvation and to following Christ And we talk about this often, at least I do, so that when we get to the last day and we all stand before Jesus, that for the people that are in this room and the people that we know are the members of our church, there's no surprises, right? There's nobody that says, I thought I was a believer, but I really wasn't, right? My job as your pastor is to make sure when we all show up there, nobody hears that, Right, that we all are secure in our salvation and we understand what it means and we trust in Christ and we follow him. And so on the, the leadership side, I'm, I'm going to flip because you know it says congregation, let them lead with joy, which we'll come back to in a minute. But I, do, do, you lead, do you let them lead you with joy? Sorry, but there's the other side to it, right? As a leader, do you lead with joy? Right? Are you glad? Are you happy? Are you joyful in leading your congregation, in leading your members, in leading your class, in leading your small group or whatever it is? Are you joyful as you do that? And then we get to the other side, right, to church responsibility. And so in church responsibility, you obey, which is what he says at the beginning. You submit. You pray for your leadership. You encourage your leadership. You support your leadership, and I, it, this is really weird for me a little bit because I have to say things to you even though it's me telling you to do this for me. It's a weird thing that pastors feel when they kind of come to these kind of things, right? But it says, basically, allow your leaders to lead with joy, 
And so the question I have for you, and this is not a complaint or anything like that, is are you a joy to lead? Right? Are you a joy to lead? That, I'm just going to leave it there. I think you guys can answer that question on your own. I'm just throwing it out there. Right? But what does that look like? What does it look like to be a joy to lead? One, and I know on a Sunday morning, the people that are here and the people that are watching, some of this is preaching to the choir, but we're going to hopefully pick some people up along the way. Um, but what does it look like to obey, to submit, to follow your leaders, and to be a joy? One is just to show up. There's nothing more encouraging to a pastor than people just showing up to say, we're doing this, or we're having this service, and people just show up, right? That's a pretty low bar, but it does wonders for pastors and their confidence and their joy and their hope in what the church is doing. The other one is to volunteer, right? To step up and to serve, maybe in something you wouldn't normally do. Um, right now, we're still running pretty lean, coming out of a pandemic. I hope we're coming out of a pandemic. Um, and so we don't have a lot of opportunities to volunteer. And we also try really hard to have volunteer opportunities that you guys can do. We know a lot of you are older, and you can't quite do what you used to be able to do. And so we try to give you opportunities to be able to do those things um, as well. So if you're like in your 80s, we don't expect you to come and unload the pumpkins next Saturday. Like we know that's not going to happen, but you can pray for the pumpkin patch and who is going to come and the people that will impact through having pumpkins on our, on our lawn for a couple of weeks. Um, and then to support, right? If we're trying something new, if we're doing something different, just be supportive, be encouraging. Just say, I, I'm not sure I would really always like this, but let's go for it. Let's see what happens. Let's try it out. Um, and then just to listen, right? Just listen to what's going on, just to listen when we send out information or announcements, just to know what's happening. Now, I want to follow this with, this doesn't mean you can't have any complaints. It doesn't mean you can't have any questions. It doesn't mean you can't disagree. You can do all of those things, but still be a joy to lead, right? Because it's how you come back and ask those questions and do those things. So I'm not saying you have to agree with everything we do and just blindly submit and do whatever we're asking you to do. You can still ask questions. You can just still say, I'm not sure this is the right way to do this. All of those things are okay, right? Because we need help. So just the question is, are you a joy to lead? Are you helping support your pastors and your leaders? And I would say, which is, we'll get to in a second, is even if you're not convinced 100%, unless it's unbiblical, let's try to just go with it together and see what happens, right? Let's see what happens because it, especially if it comes from me, if I'm bringing anything to you guys and saying, let's try this or let's do this differently, I have prayed about it, I have thought about it, I have asked other pastors about it, I have talked to our leadership about it, so it's not like I thought of it yesterday and then today I say, okay, let's go do this, right? I've, I try really hard to do my homework um, to make sure that we're doing things that we need to do, and so um, I run it through lots of other things before it gets here. But one of the other things, especially for us, just for where we're at and I think this is, this is the beauty of a congregational system, right? Where everybody has a vote and we decide these things together because it balances everything out. Yes, you have pastors 
and soon elders who, are, who guide and teach the church and say, this is where we're going, or this is where we, we need to repent, or this is where we need to turn back from, or this is how we can do better, and this is how we can reach out. And so they teach the church and guide the church. And then the congregation as a whole confirms and approves, or doesn't approve, um, what we are doing. Right? And so there's a balance to what we're doing and how we're trying to do it. Because if either one of those things is out of line, the other side corrects it, right? If I go crazy and I start saying things that aren't from the Bible, or I start saying things that disagree with the Bible, it's your job as a congregation to come and talk to me and say, you can't say that, or you shouldn't have said that. And if you say it a couple more times, you might be looking for a new job, right? That's your job as members to lead your pastors or elders and teachers to do those things. But it's the leader's job, the pastor's job to say to the church, hey, I'm not sure this is right, or we should do this instead, or this might be hurting us more than it's helping us. And so those two things work together to balance each other out and keep us all together because each side checks and balances the other, which is the beauty of the system that I think we are trying to accomplish here and have done for years and so we submit to Christ as the head of the church. We submit to godly leaders. But we also submit to other members. Right? The other two, I'm sure you've heard before, this one is not talked about as much as some of the other ones, but we also submit to other members. And this is where we're going to come back to Ephesians chapter 5. So if you're still there, great. Um, but if you're not, you may want to turn back there. And so we're going to actually rewind and read the verses above the ones we started with in verse 22. And so we're going to read verses 15 through 21, because I think this gives us a little more context about what Jesus is, what uh, Paul is talking about um, when he talks about what we saw in the other verses. And so let's start at verse 15. It says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ." And so Paul gives us actually this list of things that we are supposed to do together, right? We should make the most of the time. We should be diligent with what we're doing. We should watch how we're spending our time, whether we're wasting it or whatever it is, right? And we do that together to encourage one another to use our time wisely, whether that's when we meet together as a church or as we're living our lives outside of that. Then in verse 17, right, to understand what the Lord's will is. It's our job to do that together, to understand what is God's will, both for our church and for each of us individually, and we help each other do that. We help each other discern God's will for each of our lives because we see gifts or we see talents or we see skills or we see things in other people that they may not see, and so we can encourage them and lead them and guide them to hit those things um, when they may not see it. Then to be filled by the Spirit. 
We talked about this in the week that we talked about being united through Christ, that we all receive the Holy Spirit in our lives, and so we are filled with him. And so because of that, we live that out. Then in verse 20, we give thanks. We're thankful for what we have. We're thankful for what Christ done, has done for us. We're thankful for what we, that we can meet in a building, that we can have air conditioning. Right? We can be thankful for all of those things. And then the last one in 21, right? Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so, yes, we would say, yes, I should give thanks. Yes, I should know what God's will is. Yes, I should be filled with the Spirit. Yes, I should make good use of my time. Then I would argue, if you say yes to the other ones in this passage, we should also say yes to this one, right? Submitting to one another. Right? And this is actually mutual submission, that we are in this together, that you are submitting to each other as church members. Right? Alongside submitting to Christ and leaders, we submit to each other. Because I think this is actually where the biggest growth happens for most Christians. Right? To say, I am submitting myself to the help and the encouragement and the challenges and the corrections of other church members. And I know it's not easy to do. And I know it's not easy to accept. But I think this is where growth happens. So if you want to grow, ask your fellow church members for feedback. Right? How am I doing? Am I answering questions right? Am I saying crazy things? Am I listening to what? Do you see anything in my life that I might need to change? Or ask for help. Right? If you're not doing well... Go to somebody else and say, I need help. I'm stuck. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. Right? We're here to help each other. But this also, I think, helps us stay on track. And so if you're here and you remember way back in week one, we talked about kind of five signs um, of what a revival would look like. Um, and it was, uh, let's see if I, I can't remember them all, but like taking the scriptures seriously, loving God and people more, um, battling sin, um, battling falsehoods, and so those are four. There's one more, but I think there's two that we didn't talk about very much, and it's, it's actually battling sin and battling against falsehoods, believing false truths. And I think this one, right, mutual submission of helping each other, I think that's where these two happen the most, right, that we can help each other battle sin. We can help keep each other accountable, when we're struggling with temptation or if we have something that we're tempted by over and over and over again and trying to overcome, right? Having somebody pray with you and talk you through that and walk with you through that is helpful, right? Or dealing with falsehoods of, hey, who are you listening to? What preachers are you listening to besides me? Or what are you watching on TV? Or what are you watching on Netflix? Or what are you listening, like, how are you doing all of those things? What is that? And so we correct each other and we help each other to make sure that what we're listening to outside of this is true. That they aren't false teachers or leaving us astray. And so I think if we do those things, we actually battle against one of the biggest complaints about Christians and the church, which is that we're hypocrites, right? That we say one thing, and we say we should act one way, but we live differently, right? But if you're helping battle sin together, you're correcting that, 
right? Because you're bringing people from straying away, from falling away, from living out of line with what Christ would have us to live, and you're bringing them back, and you're correcting that. And when we're listening to false teachers, you're bringing people back to the truth, to trust in the truth of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us and how he saved us. He has given us righteousness and made us righteousness and enabled us to overcome the power and the penalty of sin so that we can live a holy life. Right? When we do those things together, as a community, we're battling hypocrisy. And yes, we're not going to be perfect, and sometimes we're going to say things, and we're going to do something different, and we're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Right? But the call is to be a community that when those things happen, we don't just ignore them or let them go or hope that nobody notices or say, that's not really my business, right? But to say, they need help. They need to be corrected because they're in danger. And it's my job as a fellow member to walk with them and to bring them back and to restore them and to encourage them so that we can all be counted righteous and all here, well done, my good and faithful servant. We do that together. Because when you join a family, which is basically what you're doing when you become a member of a church, you're taking responsibility for that family, right? You're saying, I'm responsible. I am in this family with other people, and at some level, I'm responsible for them, right? That we all make it through, right? So at the Overby House, we make sure that everybody gets to eat food regularly so that we can all stay alive. Right? We make sure that our kids go to sleep at a decent time so that they can function the next day. They're not always big fans of that, um, but it's good for them, right? And it's good for their parents to also get sleep, right? So we're taking responsibility for each other as a family. And so that's what we're, the same thing we do in the church because we are all adopted into the same family, right? Not as people that were unwanted, and so we needed a new family, and so we were adopted. But as people who were chosen and sought out by God and brought into his family, because he desired a relationship with us, he desired us to be saved, he desired us to follow him, and so he chose us, and he brought us into his family through Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. So we are all in this family we are all in this together. And hopefully we're saying we want to grow. As believers and as a church, we want to grow. We want to get better. Right? So we just say, I want to do this. I want other people to help me. I want other people to call me out when I'm making a mistake, when I'm doing something that might be sinful, when I'm listening to somebody I shouldn't listen to. I want somebody to walk through me when I'm struggling. And so... I have to tell people when I'm struggling and when I'm hurting and when I need help instead of just trying not to bother anybody. We have to do those things. That's how we walk in this together. And I want to I end in here, actually, because I think this, I think intellectually we know this, but when it comes to authority and submission, there's so much, I think, baggage that comes with it. That sometimes we think of submission as a loss, right? If I submit to somebody else's leadership, if I submit to somebody's authority, then I'm giving something up, 
right? I give up my control or my decision-making or my ideas or my intelligence or whatever. But I don't want us to think of it that way because submission to good, godly leadership is actually a gain. It's not a loss, right? You get to be led to better things than what you're currently chasing after. You get to be cared for by people who love you and want to see the best for you and are walking alongside you and love you well. You get to be protected from false teachings and the things around you and sin that you may be battling in your life. You get protected. And I think if, if we're doing this right, you actually get to be given all that you need. Right? If you're submitting to a good, godly leader, it's their responsibility to give you everything that you need for your spiritual health and salvation. And that's not a loss. Right? It may be challenging, it may be difficult, but we walk in this together so that we can all grow in maturity to Christ, which is why we're all here, right? which is what I think we all want. We all want to get better. We all want to move closer to Christ. We all want to follow him more. We all want to trust in him more. We, always want to, we all want to see other people do the same thing. And so we lovingly and we graciously lead others and submit so that we can all grow to maturity in Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Um, God, we come before you and we, we thank you um, for what you have given us. And this isn't something we talk about often, um, but I think it's, it's helpful for us to understand that, that you have given us these levels of authority over our lives and in our lives for our good. Right, to help us trust in you, to help us battle sin, to help us overcome false teachings or the things that the world is telling us that we shouldn't trust in or believe, but turn back to the truth. <clears throat> or just to seek and to follow you more. That you've given us um, you as the head of the church to guide us and to direct us and move us in the same direction. And you give us godly pastors and leaders who love us and care for us and guide us and direct us so that we can grow to maturity, so that we can be found faithful. And you give us other people around us, other believers around us, other church members to help keep us accountable, to help keep us on the same track, to come chase us down when we go off track, to bring us back and to rescue us so we will all be together. Right, that we can all stand before you as good and faithful servants. So God, I pray that, that whatever this looks like, that we would find joy in leadership and authority and submission. And, and if that would be a testimony, right? Because most of the world doesn't understand joy in submission. Right, But what you have done and what you have given us is for our good. It is for our joy. It is for our salvation. To help us, so help us to trust in you and what you have given us for our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.